At Eastern Bank, we believe that growing business should also grow the community. That's why we work to give all business owners what they need to take their dreams to the next level. Our dedication to small businesses and communities has inspired us to create the Equity Alliance for Business program and become the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running. We're proud to be here for all businesses, big and small. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com slash business. Member FDIC. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Say More listeners, Shirley Leung here. For the holidays, we're going to be turning the mic around. So I invite you to AMA, Ask Me Anything. Send questions to saymore at globe.com. Have questions about the state of media, podcasting, who has been my favorite guest? Say more at globe.com. Okay, here's the show. Welcome to Say More from Boston Globe Opinion. I'm Shirley Liang. The Nobel Prizes are awarded every year. Often the winners have expertise in areas that can seem, well, abstract. Complex chemistry, physics, obscure corners of medicine. The Nobel Assembly at Karolinski Institute has today decided to award... But the, the duo who won this year's Nobel medicine Prize award touched all of our lives in one way or another. Drew Weissman and Catalin Carrico. For their discoveries concerning nucleoside-based modifications that enabled the development of effective mRNA vaccines against COVID-19. And those vaccines saved countless lives. Dr. Drew Weissman grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts. He studied at Brandeis University and got his MD and PhD from Boston University. Now he's a professor and runs a lab at the School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Drew Weissman, welcome to Say More. Thank you very much. You worked on mRNA vaccine research for a long time before anyone took notice. I mean, I think you and your research partner, Katie, have described being met with a lack of interest, a a lack of funding for years. So what were those early years like working on mRNA? There was certainly a lot of frustration because nobody would listen to us. Nobody would give us money to do the work, uh, you know, funding. We, we couldn't get papers published, but we, we, we didn't stop. We kept doing it. And, and a lot of that was because the, the data was so interesting and the findings were so interesting. And they supported that someday RNA would be a useful vaccine, therapeutic. What we joked, and this is 20 years ago, we would both be dead before RNA ever becomes successful. Uh, But, you know, I I guess we were wrong. There must have been a point where you thought, we we have this huge breakthrough and and someday this is going to be big. When when was that for you? Yes. So uh, 2005, we published the first paper that described nucleoside-modified mRNA which is used in in both the COVID vaccines from Moderna, Pfizer, BioNTech. 
And, and I joked to Katie the night before the article came out that our phones were going to ring off the hook the next day. And of course, we get to work and we, we see our publication and the phone doesn't ring. And the phone doesn't ring for years. Um, so we knew we had something and we kept working on it. Finally, about five years later, the world became interested. So, Drew, for those of us who, who don't remember high school biology, uh, what is RNA and mRNA? So the, the way I like to explain it is RNA is, is the middleman. Our DNA encodes every protein and every instruction that allows our cells and our bodies to survive. So the RNA takes the instructions from the DNA and uses that to make the proteins. And why is, um, what makes our mRNA technology so special in the way it was able to fight COVID? So RNA has been around since 1961. It's not a new technology. The problem was it didn't work very well. And th that's where Katie and I started our work. We found that RNA was very inflammatory. So it induced swelling, it induced pain, it induced redness. So we figured out why it was so inflammatory and how to make it non-inflammatory. When we did that, it also resulted in the RNA making a thousand times more protein. So that, that means that it's much more potent. Those two things together along with the fact that RNA is simple to make. It's kind of like baking cupcakes. You throw the ingredients together, you stick it in an oven. A couple hours later, the RNA is done. Uh, th that allowed it to be made very quickly. Two months after the sequence was released, patients were being vaccinated. And it also allows it to be expanded Billions of doses were being produced within a year. So let's go back to the early pandemic days. We're back in uh, the end of 2019 into early 2020. Headlines are coming out of Wuhan about this coronavirus. Um, what went through your mind when you started to read those headlines? I, I have or had a friend who worked at the Wuhan Institute and we started talking in October, November, and he was telling me about this new infection that was spreading through the city, and people were getting very sick, and people were dying, and he was very concerned. They had no idea what it was at the time, but just the fact that a, an infection is spreading through a, a large city and people are dying is a major concern. So I, I knew at that time we had a big problem and RNA was probably going to be the answer because RNA is so fast and so potent. It would be a great vaccine. The minute the sequence was released in January, we started working on COVID-19 vaccines. How soon was was it almost within a couple of days you could you could kind of develop the the code for the vaccine I guess no, I mean that that evening we we the, the code was published we started to make the vaccine and we were immunizing mice the next week wow so now that 
the science is well recognized um, for mRNA. Do you think we're going to see some kind of RNA vaccine revolution? You know, we'll see lots of new RNA vaccines for new and old viruses. So we already are. There are about 250 clinical trials going on right now using RNA therapeutics and vaccines. Five years ago, there might have been one. Oh, wow. So there's an enormous number. They cover every imaginable infectious disease from genital herpes to influenza to hemorrhagic fever vaccines to HIV. Uh, and many others. And and this was all because of COVID, uh, the success of the COVID vaccine? Yeah, no, all all of this came from the COVID. Now, we we had clinical trials going on before COVID hit, but the, the, you know, we had three. Uh, Now we've got many more. And which of the kind of uh, RNA vaccines, which which excites you the most in terms of treating a virus or a condition? I'm excited by the progress we're making with HIV. Um, We've got a couple of HIV vaccines in clinical trials right now. And I I hope within five or six years, we'll have a vaccine that we can test for protection. Um, We also have a big program developing a cure for HIV uh, that will clear the virus out of people's bodies which currently is impossible. So I'm ready to put COVID-19 in the rear view mirror. Um, You know, but big things like industrial agriculture and climate change are are increasing the possibility of new pandemics. I mean, do you think the next pandemic is likely to come from another coronavirus? So we've had three epidemics from coronaviruses in the past 20 years. So the first was SARS. It, it, it burned out in about nine months. The, the next was MERS about 10 years later. That's still going on in the Middle East. It's carried by camels right now, but people are still dying from it. So we're going to have more coronavirus pandemics in the future. And we're also going to have influenza epidemics because we've been having them for over 100 years. What, what is the role of mRNA vaccines in these future pandemics? So the, the, there's two potential roles. The, the, there's the, the role that our government wants to take, which is when a new pandemic arrives, quickly make a vaccine to treat it. That's what we did with COVID-19. It, it took 10 months, but it shut down the world for 10 months. Uh, the, the other is the, the one that most researchers like, which is let's make vaccines now that prevent the next COVID crossover or the next influenza crossover. That way, we either have the vaccine ready to go or we vaccinate people now and we prevent any future COVID-19, other coronavirus infections uh, with, with potential to do the same for influenza. More of my conversation with Drew Weissman after this short break.
At Eastern Bank, we believe in good business. That's why we provide clients with a suite of products and services made to take their businesses to the next level. From express business loans to seamless cash management solutions, we make it easy to grow when the time is right. As a trusted full-service bank and the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running, we understand what you need to keep your business thriving. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com business. Member FDIC. In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Casca Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlet Case. Available now. I want to talk a little bit about pandemic hesitancy. So over 13 billion doses of COVID vaccines were administered by the end of 2022. At the same time, the pandemic fueled the largest backslide in vaccinations in three decades. I think the WHO says a lot of the missed vaccines have been children not getting, you know, vaccines like their tetanus shots. So um, how do you feel about this backlash against vaccines? It somewhat surprised us with, with the intensity. Vaccine people in general, we, we've known that they've existed forever. Usually we would characterize them as, you know, crazy California hippies who didn't take any medicines and and wouldn't vaccinate anybody or, or their kids. This time it turned into a, a whole segment of the population that was driven by our politicians, religious leaders, uh, and other leaders who for some reason decided that science is bad and vaccines are bad and you shouldn't take them. And to me, that's really the, the criminal part of this is that bringing people and teaching people to do things that lead to more people dying is not what a leader is supposed to do. It's what a dictator does. But you know, we've put together a big program at Penn to try and address vaccine hesitancy and misinformation. And it includes communications people, scientists, epidemiologists, uh, a variety of people to try and figure out how do we message the safety and the importance of vaccines. So what is the best way to counteract medical misinformation? Yeah, the, the big problem is that every group needs a different message. So if, if I, I've talked to African-American people and they tell me they don't want to take the vaccine because the medical system hasn't treated them well and they don't trust it. I've talked to very religious people who somehow got the idea that the Bible tells them not to take a vaccine. The Bible doesn't say that. that, that that's some religious leader's interpretation of something in the Bible that they now turn into this conspiracy theory. So it, it, every group has a different reason for their hesitancy. And each of them has to be addressed with a different message. 
So I read a poll that only a quarter of Americans are definitely getting the newest COVID vaccine. I, I mean, I've made my appointment, but I have to admit, I, I didn't it didn't feel it didn't exactly feel urgent. Like I had to get the new COVID vaccine. I mean, I've already had like five other shots. Um, and I was actually I was really torn about whether I needed it. I mean, is it urgent that we all get the new COVID vaccine? You have to sort it out a little bit. So if I was talking to a 75-year-old patient, I would say you definitely need the vaccine because a 75-year-old's immune system isn't as good as a 30-year-old's. The response doesn't last as long, and they do much worse when they get COVID. But even for young people, the importance there is that they may not get really sick, but what about their parents? What about their grandparents? What about other immune-suppressed uh, or people with immune problems or elderly people that they meet in society? Them taking the vaccine is less to protect themselves and more to protect society. Uh, I, I, had, I didn't think about that way. It's about everyone else. <laughs> yeah. um, you've been pretty outspoken about equity in vaccine development. Um, what should be the first priority in creating better equity in vaccine development around the world? The, the approach that I've taken is I work with countries, low and middle income countries around the world, and I help them establish RNA research in their universities, in their hospitals. So they get experience with making RNA vaccines and RNA therapeutics. The next step I took was to build production sites. Those are highly specialized, very expensive, very complicated. But we've built 50 or 18 of these across the world in regions that had none before. So what that allows is now if, if a a physician or researcher in Brazil or in South Africa or Rwanda, you know, any lower middle-income country has an idea for a new vaccine that they need. They can go to the site down the street and say, make this for me. They don't have to go back to Pfizer or, or any other pharmaceutical company. They have the ability now to make their own vaccines and produce them for their people. So there were probably millions, maybe even more than that, who were saved by COVID vaccines. I mean, how do you how do you reflect on the amount of people who were possibly saved by your technology and your innovation? Yeah, so I I, I haven't really figured out how to how to address that. I, I, you know. My dream as a physician researcher was always to develop a, a therapy that helps people. Uh, the, the numbers maybe are less important. Uh, I, I'm incredibly excited that something that, that Katie and I developed, along with many others, helped so many people um, and have probably created a new revolution in medicine. Uh, so I'm, I'm very proud of that. Right after you learned you won the Nobel Prize, you phoned your 90-year-old parents who still live in Westwood, Massachusetts, and the call was caught on camera. I, I, I won the Nobel Prize. 
Congratulations. Oh, how fabulous. You, I, I don't know what to say. I'm ready to fall on the floor. It seems... Okay, so my heart is melting listening to that again. I probably, I've probably watched that video like three or four times. You went viral. <laughs> uh, so I think your mom had had sort of predicted you would win a Nobel Prize, and and you were you were very at a very young age. She she thought she, this might happen, right? Yeah, so that, I mean, it, it's I, I'm not sure it's a joke, but it's a story my my parents have told my entire life. They went to Stockholm on just traveling when I was probably five or six years old. And, and they did a tour of, of the, the, the hall where the Nobel is given with, with a guide. And they told the guide to reserve these two seats. So, you know, it, it was done as a joke at the time, but. The, so the, at the they, time, were you already were you already interested in science? Or I were... was five years old. I, I was probably interested in how to use the potty. <laughs> so have you reserved two seats for your parents in Stockholm uh, at the December ceremony? We're, we're working on it. <laughs> so how how does it feel winning the Nobel Prize? Yeah, you know, I I, I, I still haven't really consumed it. I, I'm, I, 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 you know, early on, I, I was somewhere between just stunned and and, and imposter syndrome. Um, it, 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 it's an incredible honor, uh, and it's wonderful. Uh, but you know, I, I, I've never really looked at prizes as something that are necessary for a researcher to get. Uh, I'm much happier that the vaccine worked and, and saved people's lives than getting awards for it. Drew Weissman is a vaccine researcher at UPenn School of Medicine. He won the 2023 Nobel Prize for Medicine and now is off to Stockholm to collect it. Hopefully your parents will be there. Uh, so thank you for being on the show. And on behalf of all Say More listeners, thank you for your work on life-saving vaccines. Thank you very much. Say More is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Anna Kusmer with help from Scott Hellman and Alexis Sargent. Our editor is Jim Dow. Our engineer is Uzair Ahmed. Our music is from APM Music. If you like the show, please follow us and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us at saymore at globe.com. I'm Shirley Leung. Thanks for listening.